I am so honored and blessed to be joined once again here. A friend of the show, Pastor Dale Partridge, is joining us today. And, you know, as we head into and are a part of Holy Week this week and we head into Easter holiday this weekend and coming off the heels of what happened in Nashville, the Presbyterian Church there, this is a discussion that we very much need to have. He has two very important books out, one being Jesus and my gender, a beautiful uh, children's book out, and then The Manliness of Christ, a wonderful deep dive into the uh, into you know just who Christ was, and um, it's just such a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, message for us today. This and um, this weekend heading into Easter, so I'm so excited to talk to him about that. But first, I am very excited to tell you that we now have James O'Keefe added to the lineup for our national conference on June 2nd and June 3rd in Boise this summer. Uh, we the Patriots USA's big national conference with Steve Dace, Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. Ryan Cole. I myself am going to be emceeing the entire event, so I'm so excited to join you there. You can use code Early Eagle through the 15th to get 10% off, so I'm very excited about that. And so now we're going to dive into our discussion with Pastor Dale Partridge. Where do we go from here? Because the battle has just begun. As eyes open, we continue to arm ourselves with the truth in all aspects of our lives, asking questions and relentlessly searching for answers, educating ourselves and forging a new path forward. Hear from real people faithfully pursuing freedom. This is Faithful Freedom with Taryn Gregson, presented by We the Patriots USA, a nonprofit 501c3 organization working to preserve and reclaim our God-given inalienable rights. Hi, Pastor Partridge. Welcome to the show. Hey, I'm excited to be here and have this conversation. Absolutely. You know how I know that God's hand is in all of this and that his timing is perfect because um, we've tried to be, we've tried to have this discussion a couple times about your books and we just so happen to line up here around Easter weekend. So, you know, God's divine timing. Amen. Amen. Yeah. It's an important conversation, especially in light of what's happening. I think the LGBTQ community is aggressive um, in its uh, indoctrination of children and its indoctrination of social and uh, civil society. Uh, there is a discussion that needs to be had around biblical manhood, a biblical womanhood, and raising children in understanding and affirming their God-given gender. And so uh, in light of the, the Nashville incident that just occurred uh, with the transgender, uh, you know, mixed in with that discussion in terms mm -hmm. of we can't separate uh, the act from her self-imposed identity. And so um, we need to have a discussion as this becomes more and more prevalent in society. And uh, what are we going to do as parents? What are we going to do as pastors? What are we going to do as leaders in our cities and towns to stand uh, against this in a way that's speaking the truth in love? And uh, that's been the basis of this entire project. And uh, it's continued to, to be uh, an exciting conversation uh, for the past several months. I appreciate you as a pastor speaking out in the, you know, speaking the truth in love because we've seen so many pastors that have twisted what that means. Um, and 
light of not wanting to actually speak the truth by trying to affirm uh, this, what it is a mental illness, gender dysphoria is a mental illness. You know, I've talked to many uh, people, including Ollie London, I, his book Detransition, you know, he was a man that transitioned to a woman and has since found Christ and transitioned back to being a male. And, you know, he talks about how this is a, this is a mental illness and him and I dove deep into the thought that, yes, it's wrapped up in the mental illness, but it's wrapped up in not knowing your identity and the best and the only identity that those of us that are Christians can have is our identity in Christ. Yeah. And so we know that mental health is a category that we have come up with. Mm -hmm. It's not a historical reality, but uh, it's a category we've come up with the modern era. Mental health is essentially a result of your thought health. It's, it has to do with how you think. Now, your thought health is uh, a result of your belief health. And are you believing lies? Are you believing truth? Um, and so if you just go upstream from mental health, uh, you start to realize it's really founded in, in how you believe. And are you believing things that are true? Or are you believing things that are lies? And uh, we all live in fallen bodies and are prone to believing uh, deceptive things and, and ideas. And um, we need to be careful about that. So what our goal is as Christians is to align ourselves with the word of God, which is the uh, reference point of all truth. And so the Bible is the one that tells us that we are male and female. The Bible is the one that tells us that we are to have a traditional marriage between a man and a woman. I mean, I think that so many people need to come to realize that as Christians, uh, fighting back against the perversion of marriage, the distortion of gender is squarely a Christian issue. And I say that because the only reason that you have any grounds to say that homosexuality or transgenderism or pedophilia or any perversion of sexuality is even wrong is on the grounds of the Bible. And so these are Christian issues because they are Bible issues. They are not social issues. They are not psychological issues. They're not mental issues. They are squarely Bible issues. And so uh, our counseling for these matters need to come back to the word of God and go, hey, these are issues about identity and who are you? And first and foremost, uh, out, out of the womb and into the world, we are our identity is that we're sinners, right? We, we come out sinning. You don't need to teach your toddler to be rude and to say no to you and to disobey their parents and to lie. Um, no, the, these kids do these things because we are born in sin and we need to be born again. We have perverted, uh, strange, gross affections. We have desires for things that we shouldn't have desires for. We have a, a heart that loves sin and is an enslaved to sin. And this is the whole idea that we need to be born again. We need to have a new heart. This is what's called a spiritual resurrection. This is something that God sovereignly does at the proclamation of the gospel. And we get to hear those words. We get to repent of our sin and come to Christ. And by coming to Christ, we essentially say that we're not going to trust in ourselves to be found good. I'm not good. I'm not a good person. Uh, this idea that you're a good person or I, I'm a pretty good person. Well, you're just comparing yourself to some other person. But when you compare yourself to God's law, you're not good. Uh, you've continually broken it. You're guilty. And we need to be found righteous somehow. And the way that we're found righteous is obviously getting the righteousness of Christ through faith. And so, yeah, it's an identity a, a, a matter. It's something that 
Um, we need to go again upstream. Yes, we need to deal with the what's right in front of us. But if we just go upstream, we realize that this is a gospel issue. This is a deep issue. And that's the only way that this is going to change the society is if we get back into the scriptures and the word of God. And that's exactly what you're trying to do with your new book, Jesus in My Gender. And I think it's beautiful. Um, every single page in here has references, multiple references to scripture for the parents to go back and read, um, you know, with their children, as well as what you're teaching in the book. And it is continuing to instill those biblical truths to people and to children and to families from the ground up. Yeah. I mean, right now, parents are wondering, how do I deal with this? How do I have this conversation mm -hmm. with my child? Um, there, there's a few things that you need to be thinking about. One is the best defense is a good offense. So best defense for a parent against the lies is a really good offense. Um, now, what do I mean by that? Well, by the age of five, the average child is going to see over a hundred perversions of sexuality and traditional marriage, traditional family. You're going to go to Target. You're going to go to Walmart. You're going to stand there and you're going to see John at the register and John's going to be wearing lipstick and a dress. And you're going to have your child with you and he's going to see this weird perverted situation with a guy with a beard that's also wearing woman's clothing. You're going to see two women walking down the aisle, holding hands and maybe kissing each other uh, affectionately. You're going to see two dinosaur dads and some Disney garbage on the internet. And so these kids are seeing constant expressions of perversion. And so we need to be just as vigilant and aggressive with affirming your child's God-given gender. Uh, it's things that you didn't have to do 20 years ago. It's things that a hundred years ago, people would be absolutely flabbergasted about, but we are here and this thing isn't going to change in our generation. This is a multi-generational attack um, and we need to be prepared uh, to communicate these truths to our children in a way that presents them and prepares them for what's coming. Um, I'm going to read you a quote real quick um, that was really important uh, for just kind of having some long-term visuals and a long-term perspective. It's from uh, Francis George, uh, bishop in the church from uh, many, many years ago. He says, I expect to die in my bed. My successor will die in prison. His successor will die a martyr in the public square, but his successor will pick up the shards of a ruined society and slowly help rebuild civilization as the church has done so often in human history. So that, that is an important concept that we need to go, well, I might die in my bed. My kids might die in prison standing for the truth. Um, and will there be martyrdom over this, this issue? Maybe, maybe not. But there will be a generation, maybe our grandkids, who actually get to rock bottom and rebuild civilization back on biblical foundations. And so we will get there. I mean, we are in the death throes of a society that is falling apart. No society can last when it enters into homosexuality, transgenderism, denies the truth on all different fronts, when emotions rule over logic and fact. And so we are there um, and we're maybe 50 years away from an absolute capitulation of the culture. But I don't think this is the end. I don't think that 
that you know, I'm not one of to say, oh, and Jesus is coming back Thursday, and don't worry, it's all going to get mopped up. <laughs> it would be great if he did. That'd be right. Wonderful. It would be great. <laughs> I, I think that Christ may or may not come back for a couple thousand years, sure. and so we need to prepare and plan and have that long term vision. And so back to my point is that the best defense is a good offense. So we need to train our children in the truth, so that they are so affirmed in what is actually fact and foundational about who they are, that the moment they see a counterfeit, they reject it. They understand that it's, it's actually off and that it's wrong. And so I tell parents today, go over and beyond in the gender stereotypes because uh, everywhere else is blurring the lines. You go to Target and you know, there's no boys and girls sections. They're, they're trying to blend it all together. And, you know, the feminist girls sections are all feminists and the boys section are all, you know, gay and weird. And, Mm -hmm. and so you, you got to figure out a way to go, how do you get your boys to be, you know, get them blue things, get them red things, get them strong things, you know, get your girls pink things and, and take them out, take your little girls out on daddy daughter dates and treat them like, you know, little princesses, all that stuff. We need to overly exaggerate because we live in a world that is pushing in really hard on distortion. And so uh, it is, it's a, it's a big discussion and a big need. And this book, Jesus and My Gender, was just one tool that we wanted to create for parents and families to have uh, a resource to start that discussion and affirm their child's God-given gender. We don't talk about all the gender fluidity a, A, B, C, R, F, Q, you know, we don't do that stuff. It doesn't, it's just, if you're a boy, it's awesome that you're a boy. God made you a boy. And it means that you should behave this way. And if you're a girl, that's great. God made you this way and you should behave this way. And you're going to get married one day and you're going to have a family. I mean, we want to affirm those basic truths. And that was the purpose of Jesus and my gender. I think that by doing this and, you know, by having this attack on our gender, I think that it, um, like you said, can actually be used to strengthen the next generation and to help us to step back into those gender roles more so than people like you and I and our generation and the generation just before us did. Because I think that a lot of that has to do with where we are today, too. I mean, of course, we can talk about the, you know, gay marriage and homosexuality, how that led us on this route. But I think also, too, the the blurring of the lines of gender roles in our society has led us to where it is today, too, which has also led to a lot of people not being as happy because we haven't followed those, you know, for women like me who heard the feminist mantra growing up our whole lives. And um, not to say that you can't go about, you know, trying to have a career and do these things. But we all know, speaking of myself and for women, that we are happier when we lean into motherhood, when we do those uh, those divine things that God, you know, chose for us as women to do. And also, you know, then for men on, on their side, I think that we have a real chance to, you know, everyone's worried about happiness, which, you know, we can have a long conversation about what actual biblical happiness and joy is compared to that. But this is a chance to really set up our children with actual joy and happiness through their gender roles. Yeah. You know, yesterday I had a conversation with uh, a woman from our city and she's a realtor. And she told me, she said, Dale, I 
next week will be awarded for the second year in a row, in a year in a row, number one realtor in the city. And she said, I'm going to stand up on that stage and everybody's going to think that I'm a feminist because I'm a single woman who's making all this money. She said, but Dale, I would much rather be any day of the week, number one wife, but I just haven't been able to find a man to love me that way. And I was, it made me almost tear up because she's actually not the feminist woman that everybody might think she is. She really just wants to be a wife. She's 52. And, and she wants to be a wife. She wants to be uh, a stay at home mom. She wants all these things because this is what God has designed and intrinsically ingrained in women. It's not a demeaning reality. It's not a demeaning reality because we know because God is all wise and he's the one that designed it. Yep. And so the egalitarian approach to culture today, which is says that men and women are exactly the same. It's a wicked idea. We're not the same. We are equally valuable before the cross, but we are very different in biology, very different in purpose, very different in role, uh, very different in, um, in the way that we communicate and hold ourselves. I mean, our bone structures are different. Our, our strength is different. Our, our uh, hormones are different. And, and so there are obviously significant areas that we cannot be the same. And we're trying to watch the culture, try to be the same in sports. We're trying to watch the culture, try to be the same in, in the workforce. Um, and it's led to a disaster of the West. Um, and so we need to get back to traditional roles. We have young boys who are you know, 14, 15, 16, and becoming men uh, that are angry because they, they have no reference point for what it means to be a man. And they have no way to even find a godly woman who would submit to this mythical version of manhood that they read about from a hundred years ago. And women are the same. Uh, there's godly women out there that are trying to find a non-porn addicted 20-year-old who doesn't act like a boy. And they hear about these mythical you know, creatures from the 1800s that had everything <laughs> together. And they just go, they feel cheated. And mm-hmm. we know that Satan's plan essentially is that men will be boys, women will be men. And as a result, children will be irrelevant. And so this is the way you destroy society. And so if we want to fight this war and win it, it requires thousands upon thousands of faithful families to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That includes a a sound and biblical father who loves his kids, who is present, who works hard, who teaches his children the Bible and has good theology and understands the gospel and a wife who comes alongside and helps support the mission of her husband and builds alongside with him and nurtures children in a way that dad can't and doesn't and builds a beautiful home that people, when they want, when, when the children move out, want to recreate because they, they have such great memories of it. They want to come home to it. Um, this is so important and we've lost just the basic structure of 
traditionalism. And we're now having to look back like a hundred years to even figure out how to do this. And it's sad. It really is a sad time. And so this is, yeah, again, this is why I'm writing books, trying to bring uh, clarity for men and women on what it means to be a man and a woman. I appreciate that. And I, and I think that Jesus and my gender, even though it's a children's book, parents can also get those uh, messages that you all just said out of this book. I love the, um, the gender catechisms that you have in the back of the book too. I think that that's wonderful. Our family loves uh, to go over catechisms in the morning. And I think this is great. And um you know, that also leads into the discussion of your book, The Manliness of Christ, which I just I've read excerpts from it and it is an amazing read and everyone male and female should read it. I think it's just because, again, you're talking about what it means to be a man and what it means to be masculine and then what you know, women can glean from that and learn from that uh, as far as when we're looking for men and raising men. And I yep. think that it's um, just a wonderful, wonderful message today that we can talk about the masculinity of Christ. I think that we've tried to, as a society, make him uh, a kumbaya Jesus instead yep. of um, the authoritative, manly, masculine man that we'd see if you actually pick up your Bible and read that we see throughout the gospel. Yeah, I mean, Jesus is the Lord of Lord, the King of Kings. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. The gates of hell will not prevail against his church. He uses strong language. He calls people a brood of vipers, sons of Satan. He, you know, flips tables in frustration of blasphemy against his father's name. He uh, is resolved to go to the cross, knowing that he's going to be murdered and slaughtered for the sin that he never committed. He's incredibly brave, fierce, intense, bold, clear, unbending. I mean, th this is... This is what we see. Now, he is also compassionate and he's also meek and lowly and gentle. But the problem is that we have a one-sided Jesus. Yep. And so we have this, the, you know, the most popular book for like the last year in the Christian space is this uh, book called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Mm -hmm. it's, not a, it's not a bad book. It's just a one-dimensional book. And it's unfortunate because it gives you this gentle and lowly Jesus that every woman wants. Mm -hmm. Oh, I just want the gentle and lowly one. You know. I have to admit, I love that book. But you're right. It is one dimensional. It's one dimensional. And I just go, hey, there's nothing wrong with it. But if you just pair it with the masculine or yeah. the manliness of Christ, you start to get a full orbed reality of who Jesus yes. is. And so the problem is, is that you'll never have masculine men in the church if we have a view that Christ is effeminate. And so why is the church filled with 75% women and 25% men? Well, because we've made Jesus out to be a, a woman. Yeah. You know, he, he's this androgynous, you know, soft character with, you know, the Roman Catholic paintings of him wearing blush and his t eyebrows and are tweezed. We've, yeah, that. And we've seen, we've heard some people in the transgender movement um, over the past week since everything has happened come out and say, you know, they think that Christ is a woman. Um, you know, so we've heard them distorting this from their end too, based on probably what they're hearing from within the Christian community. Yeah. And, you know, the truth is this, women will always join 
a masculine church. Men will never join an effeminate church. <laughs> okay. Now they might, if they're gay or they might, if they're weak men, but you're never going to get strong men ever at an effeminate church. And so, I mean, the same is true. There's actually a study that was shown about clothing stores is that women will shop at a store that has men's clothing and has women's clothing, yeah. like a, a woman's section. Mm -hmm. um, growing up, I remember skate shops used to have like a, a girl's section yeah. and girls would always go in there, no problem. And then I remember Forever 21 trying to pull out a men's section and I would just go, dudes aren't going to go in there. I mean, yep. you, some guys <laughs> are going to go in there, but that is a woman's store and mm -hmm. you just feel uncomfortable doing it. So there's the same true or truth in, as it pertains to the church. So we need to have a masculine Jesus. It's for the protection of everyone. We're not making this up. This is who Christ is, but we need to really accentuate that reality in the church today so that men don't leave. Because I'll tell you what, when men, strong men leave the church, you have a feminine, a feminine and feminine church. And that means it's a church without protection, without discernment, without um, without a great sense of, of the attributes that men bring to a church, uh, high, high defense, high view of logic, um, lower emotion, um, less opportunity for deception. Um, and, and so you, you have this, uh, these churches that are today that are just being led by women, whether they're in leadership positions or not, these, they're, they're leading the congregations and it's not good. And it's because what we've done now is we, we have this church that's now, instead of it being a line, it's a circle. And I'll explain this. A circle is that we are now inwardly focused about like a therapeutic approach to Christianity, where it's all about how do we feel and how are we doing, where historic biblical Christianity is not a circle. It's a line where we're standing shoulder to shoulder, arm to arm. And we're walking forward in the mission of Christ to proclaim the gospel, to convert the nations. And so men want to join that church. Men do not want to sit in a circle and do the kumbaya, let me tell me how, how I feel. That's not what men do. No matter how much the feminist movement wants to make you feel like men should be these types of people, they're not those types of people. And so uh, you don't see that in history anywhere. Um, until the modern era. And so we do, we need to see a masculine Jesus so that we would have a masculine church. And we have a masculine church. We have a strong, healthy church that women are actually protected and cared for. And they walk in the roles and they support and glorify in a way that brings glory to God. When you say that, I think of the microcosm that is small groups within churches and you know obviously you have uh, couples groups and mixed gender groups and everything but then when you when you start to branch off and your women's groups and your your men's small groups and how those can look different right like the women we're all getting together doing our bible study having coffee together and making sure you know we all feel okay and then men are getting together and um you know they're doing labor together whether it's exercising or cleaning the church up thinking of different ways they can go out in the community and you know they're there to support one another of course but they're taking they're trying to take action um, not that women don't women do a lot to give back in the community but it just kind of makes me think of the juxtaposition there and how we can kind of glean forth from that yeah i mean my the men's meetings at our church 
you know, the men's meetings in most ch churches, they're called small groups. I mean, that's already like a feminine term. Like yeah. no man wants to say, I'm at my small group. It's just like not a thing. You don't want to yeah. say that. So we call them men's meetings. Yeah. And, um, and in the church today, even the, even the small groups are basically women's groups made for men. And so uh, we, we try to, to talk about things that we talk about work. Yep. We talk about theology. Uh, we talk about um, finances. We talk about mission. We go do things. Um, we, you know, yeah, we build things. We play sports together. We have competitions. Um, you know, there's actually an interesting study. You'll never see women's teams in sports anywhere pre the 20th century. Um, yeah. They just don't exist. Women don't get together to do sports and teams and be competitive. They just never did that. Mm -hmm. um, men have always done that. And, and so, you know, imagine like a 1700s woman and a bunch of women in dresses playing some sort of sport. No, it would be like, what are you doing? And, and so um, it doesn't mean that they weren't athletic. It doesn't mean that they weren't incredibly fit or whatever it may be. But just this concept is that we don't even realize how far we've gone from historic humanity. Um, and so we do need to have, we live in a time of what I call hyper-normalization. And so we are normalizing things that are not normal at a rapid pace. And we do, we need to go back to the 1800s just to get a reference point to start rebuilding the collapse of the current society. And I think that, um, one thing, one thing that uh, Gentle and Lily did that I do appreciate is how he kept referring back to different Puritan writings. And I think that that is one thing that men can really do to, to lean into in their spiritual journey is looking at those Puritan writings and what it really means to dive deep into your Bible and theology. Because I think that um, a lot of men have got, I don't want to speak for everyone, but have gotten away from you know, taking those deep dives into their Bibles and that has, you know, permeated into the family and into society. Yeah. I mean, we, the Puritans are some of the, I, I think may have been the most fruitful generation of the church uh, because there's such theological clarity. I mean, it was the Gutenberg press that came in the 1500s and we finally all of a sudden had our Bible in our own language. And there was theological discourse that created theological clarity that created uh, scholasticism that created, you know, a time of, of great, um, reverence and piety, uh, for the scriptures. And so I almost exclusively read stuff from the Puritans. Um, it is how I have maintained a historic view of Christ in the family and not been distorted from the current generation. Um, there are a handful of guys out there that are trustworthy today. I mean, my friend, Michael Foster wrote a book called it's good to be a man. Great book. Uh, another friend of mine, Becca Merkel wrote, um, Eve in exile, a great book for women to read and have some reference points. Um, and we just, yeah, there, we need new leaders that have studied the old paths and can bring back a reconstruction and rebuilding of a civilization that has been lost for about a century. As we wrap up our discussion here uh, on Good Friday, is there just one message that you want to send out there to, you know, anybody listening, but particularly to our Christian men? Yeah, the you can't lead 
without the gospel. So you can't take people or your family to a place that you've never been. And if you're born and raised in America, there's a great chance that you heard a heretical false gospel. I did. I thought I was saved for 15 years, only to find out that I didn't know the gospel. It's an amazing time to be alive because we have so many pastors that preach this watered down churchianity where Jesus has a wonderful plan for your life and just give him your heart and you accept Jesus and now you're saved. But they don't understand the actual tragedy of their own sinfulness and that outside of Christ, they're under the wrath of God. I mean, this idea in society that everyone is a child of God is not a biblical idea. The Bible doesn't say that everyone's a child of God. The Bible says everyone's made in God's image. But Jesus uh, says that a brood of vipers and sons of Satan is saying, no, you are not my children. You are actually children of the devil. Um, There is, uh, the apostle Paul talks about this as well. And so we need to realize that outside of Christ, we are not at peace with God. We are absolutely under his wrath and we need to uh, repent. We've broken his law. We need to turn from our ways and follow Christ. Now, Christ didn't just die for your sin. He also lived for you. And what I mean by that is Christ actually kept the law that you can't keep and you need to be made righteous. And the only way you're going to be made righteous is getting an alien righteousness. It's a righteousness that's not your own, that's given to you by faith. And so the, the core of the gospel is this. I give Christ my sin. He dies for it, pays the penalty on the cross. And Christ gives me his righteousness through faith. I mean, it's the best deal in the universe. I basically get what I don't deserve. And Christ uh, uh, gets what he doesn't deserve. And I'm saved in the midst of it. it it's, that is the gospel. And so from that point, men, that's where you can lead. When you understand grace, when you understand the mercy that has been extended to you in Christ, when you understand holiness and righteousness, uh, these things matter when you're leading your family, you're leading your, in your city, leading in your church. And so I would just say, spend time studying the gospel, uh, get your gospel mechanics down so that from that position, you can actually be an incredible leader. Thank you so much for that, uh, that, you know, those sentiments there at the end, because I think it's really important to get your gospel mechanics down. I love that. That's a good, uh, a good phrase. And people can start to do that by picking up your book, Jesus and my gender and the manliness of Christ. They can also follow you at relearn.org and all of your different social media channels. You're a wonderful follow. You tackle all of the cultural issues and from a theological standpoint. And I just think it's fantastic. Where else um, do you want people to follow you and your work? We have a podcast called Real Christianity. You can follow there every week. Um, there's also a new podcast that I'll, I'll you, you'll hear about on our podcast that we're launching with, uh, with uh, Pastor Joel Webin. And I'm also having all my sermons available on another podcast. So yeah, if you have the crazy desire to follow along my journey, you can do so uh, at those places. And yeah, follow me on Twitter and, and Instagram. Those are kind of my main jams where I'm communicating on a regular basis. 
Well, we will be sure to do that and sure to follow everything that you're doing. You're doing such wonderful work. And if you liked this episode and what we're doing here at We the Patriots USA, you can head over to our website at wethepatriotsusa.org and prayerfully contribute to our missions. Thank you, Pastor Partridge. We appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me.